Hello, everyone. Amelia Taylor-Hawkberg, our Connects Editorial Manager here. As you may have already heard, we've been releasing the live interviews we recorded during our Next Up event series held at Giant Jai Gallery in Los Angeles and at the Chicago Architecture Biennial as Archonnect Sessions mini sessions. We've got more Next Up mini sessions interviews for you now, but due to a technical error in Chicago, they weren't recorded live. To catch up on previous interviews, make sure to subscribe to us on iTunes. All right, enjoy this Next Up interview. So why don't we start out by having you give it a little bit of an explanation as to how you came up with the idea behind We Know How to Order, as well as maybe a quick description of what that is for people who might not have already seen it from the biennial. Sure. So We Know How to Order was a site-specific performance at the Federal Center in downtown Chicago, which is a complex of buildings designed by Mies van der Rohe. It's three large or two large towers and then a monumental post office building and a plaza between them. And I knew that site from going to Chicago before. It's sort of one of Mies's well-known projects. And I knew I wanted to do a response to that place. And so I originally proposed a performance piece that would be um, pretty abstract. It was sort of taking the grid lines of the space and turning them into a moving drawing by having many people with sort of white rods and white uniforms um, producing this very geometric organization. Um, But when I was looking for uh, performance groups to collaborate with in Chicago, I came across the South Shore Drill Team, which is, I mean, just mind-blowing. I think anyone who sees them perform is immediately impressed and, and awed by them. They do drill routines, which are military drills with flags and rifles, but then they splice them with um, street choreography. And it's this super high energy, dynamic, incredible performance style. So I saw them and I knew it would be not just a great sort of match for the concept and the site, but also it would add a whole other layer of of depth to responding to this architecture because the the drill team is, um, they're based in the south side of Chicago. They do a lot of community work in terms of keeping kids safe from gun violence. And it would be um, a chance to have an interesting conversation about sort of the role of of guns, of discipline, of, of force in a way in our society and how that operates to on the federal center as part of a kind of security and surveillance device, but then in the drill team as a way of providing structure and actually security for these kids who are under a lot of threats. So, um, so yeah, the piece is basically about just kind of bringing together these two Chicago institutions and the drill team is very well known as a kind of Chicago source of Chicago pride. So to have them respond to that site and give their own interpretation of the architecture, to basically remake that space through movement. And so I collaborated with their choreographer, Asher Waldron, and my role was sort of as an artistic director to to figure out the, you know, the trajectory, the kind of shape of the piece, the general aesthetic, the, the sort of lines of the space. But then Asher did all of the choreography in terms of the movement. And so we'll be able to um, post a video for listeners who want to actually see the performance. But for those who are in Chicago and able to catch the limited, because I believe it was only performed three times through the course of the opening weekend of the biennial. Yeah, four times. Four times. Two times Friday and Saturday. And so for the average person getting out of work in Chicago, downtown, walking past the area who would just chance upon this performance, I think that was kind of, I don't know if that was that an intended major 
leg of the performance's overall impact to kind of have this not only highly public and highly loaded space as the site, but also the impromptu feeling of it, even though it's obviously a highly choreographed thing. If you are just coming out of work and you suddenly chance upon this performance, at least in my experience watching it, a bunch of people were gathered around and completely confused, had no idea what was going on. (laughs) And it was, but that was part of the power of the piece was that they were just chance upon this and be, I can't assume, I can't, you know, I can't speak for them. I can't say that they were mood, but I can say that this was kind of like a magical experience to just see. And of course, whether they then go on to think about the relationships of power structures and architecture and creation of, of modernist spaces and orienting of bodies and such like that is is unseen. But I was wondering, can you talk a little bit about how you imagined the performative aspect of this piece being executed and, and what your goals were for how an audience and perhaps an unwilling audience might have perceived it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we I really wanted that aspect of it. And in a way, it would have been great to have it happen on two weekdays so we could get kind of the maximum number of accidental audience members. The piece was really aiming for having, for, for reaching multiple different audiences. I think, you know, just on a pure entertainment level, the drill team is really accessible to everyone. And, and I believe generally in getting projects related to architecture to be accessible to as many people as possible and to sort of not make it an elite closed off experience. But then I think I was hoping that the piece would really produce themes on multiple levels that people could access in different ways. So there's obviously, you know, a very political theme at play here, like you touched on that, you know, it's a federal space. We're coming out of a year of extremely public kind of traumatic events in which, you know, a lot of sort of racially charged conflicts were taking place in the United States. And obviously that's been going on for hundreds and hundreds of years in this country. But um, there was sort of a a very, uh, there was an intensity to the last year that was part of what this piece was responding to. And so there's this political level of the question of how different systems of architecture, of um social organization create discipline for bodies and different types of bodies, um, how they create sort of rules and regulations for how we move, uh, how we should behave. So that was sort of one level, which, you know, I was hoping that many different kinds of audiences could, could react to. Um, and I think the guns as a prop were sort of a trigger for that theme, which you know, it became pretty clear. <laughs> you see these guys right. throwing around guns, like, oh, maybe this has something to do with um, <laughs> with politics. Uh, yeah, it's so um, the immediate experience of seeing this elaborate, patterned, choreographed display set to really affecting music. I think there's like a blend of, was it Steve Reich and some Chicago house and kind of like, it really does the job that a drill team is supposed to do, right? It's like, it's supposed to create this highly energized and coordinated machine of people, Mm -hmm. like a group of people that operate in flawless coordination with one another, which the drill team really manages to do. And what I found interesting about the piece is, of course, it does, if not explicitly to someone, but quite clearly does touch on these recent subjects or recently publicized subjects of the movement of Black bodies through space. I think that's kind of the phrase that I've heard you use before. And but despite that, the piece doesn't really, at least um, from my interpretation, come off as explicitly critical. It's more of a kind of exploration of the idea and a presentation that can maybe bring in more people than might have previously been 
feeling that their opinions were validated in those kinds of conversations. Um, and I'm not sure if that's something you anticipated, but could you talk a little bit about how in your line of work, you kind of anticipate this desire to be open and accessible, but at all at the same time, whether you try to balance that with being critical and presenting like a critical object or whether the purpose is more to kind of open up the conversation? Yeah, definitely. Uh, well, it was definitely the latter. And I had an interesting conversation with Sylvia Levin about this because the second catalog or the main catalog for the biennial is staged as a series of conversations between participants and critics. So ours, the one that I am including is the conversation between me and Sylvia Levin. And this was one of the main things we talked about was basically, can you have, can you address politics in a way that is open-ended and ambiguous? Um, and I was really arguing that you can, and that it's really productive to do so. Because I think oftentimes we think of political projects as being sort of one-liners that can also be easily dismissed for being, being reduced to a polemic. And I, and I really wanted this project to, to reveal resonances and similarities, but also major differences between these different elements in Chicago. Um, because, you know, part of it's about similarity, right? That there is this, there's a rigor and a discipline, a kind of militaristic discipline in the drill team that we also associate with the military and with, you know, these sort of government forces. But I thought what was interesting is how they're directed in, or they're, they're pointed in different directions. They're serving different purposes. So I really did want it to be an open-ended thing because I just think that that allows for more depth and more engagement for the viewer. And then the other layer of it, the sort of other audience is the architectural audience because there's a sort of whole other set of open-ended themes in how it responds visually and spatially to the architecture. So in some ways it's, it's, you know, it's like responding to the sort of clear grids of the space. And in that respect, that could be the sort of obvious heavy handed dimension of it. But then the way that the performers move, the, the way that the grids break down and become these sort of individual expressive sort of forms of choreography. And then and the, the sheer just sort of mass of them and the, the way that you, can, you start not being able to keep track of what's happening, mm. um, that really complicates this, what could have been, I think, a didactic interpretation of Mies and grids. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's supposed to definitely be an open-ended experience. And so in that regard, could you talk a little bit about the piece in respect to your overall practice as an architect and in particular in the field of experimental preservation? Sure. Yeah. So for the last, I guess, five or so years, I've been involved in a larger conversation around experimental practices and preservation. And the idea is that, you know, the sort of conventions of preservation have really focused on material, the material science of keeping historical buildings in an original condition. And the emphasis tends to be on a kind of stasis and an objective knowledge of uh, what is original, what is authentic. And there's a sort of community of people. Um, Jorge Otero Pios is really important for this. And he's this, the one who coined that term, experimental preservation. Um, also, several people in Oslo, where I've been teaching, that are working on other ways of approaching preservation. So to say that preservation doesn't have to be about materially keeping something in its original form, 
it's actually more important to just bring a piece of architecture into a contemporary discourse to make people care about it and engage with it. And that can happen in a whole range of ways from a text to a performance to an actual renovation. And it's, you know, and, it, and I think it's a fascinating question because it brings up all these issues of authorship, of authenticity that allows you as a designer to work not as a conventional author who produces singular objects, but in this kind of layered successive authorship so that you're responding to someone who's come before and then knowing that someone else is going to come after you. And there's this sort of a different kind of subjectivity that, that it requires as a designer. So because that's been my interest, I've worked across a whole range of different media and scales. So from like urban planning stuff, I was doing um, a project in Norway for the Norwegian government and with the school, the Oslo School of Architecture on strategies for for, um, urban planning around a site that had been bombed by the terrorists in 2011. And it was a modernist heritage site. But then also, you know, more temporary stuff like an installation at the Neutra VDL house in 2013 and competitions, you know, other exhibitions and performance. And and this has really been just one of the most fulfilling, inspiring experiences to, I mean, to work with the Joel team was just profound and and it's made me really want to do more work like this. And um, <laughs> I mean, understandable. I know I can never find anyone like them again. Well, so I think that there's also, of course, a very strong precedent of kind of site specific performative pieces that um, engage with architecture, but might not so have so often been associated with a architectural history or architectural uh, preservation movement, but much more, say, just with the strict art movement. And so I think there's an interesting context and in a way that those two kind of certainly not exclusive, but still kind of having their own camps of people being architecture and art historical trajectories can kind of inform one another and hopefully just kind of inform the piece in a different way or inform sites for different people in different ways and continually do it, continue to do that in the course of a certain site existing, you know, hundreds of years past our lifetimes and how we choose to preserve it now being consistently inflected upon over time and kind of built upon. So I think that's a fascinating study. Yeah. I mean, in a lot of ways, art, uh, I think art has actually given a lot of, a lot more precedence for this other form of authorship than architecture. You know, that artists are often allowed to be or encouraged to be <laughs> capable or whatever of, um, of being sort of successive authors of, of intervening in something that someone else has already created. And then knowing that this will also pass sort of an acceptance of that temporality. So that's definitely an inspiration for me. And I think productive for architecture. Absolutely. So maybe to just close things off as we come to the end, how, so how do you maybe just comment a little bit on how you feel your piece informs the overall kind of context and culture of the biennial? Ooh, that's, <laughs> that's why we that's why we end with it to make it really difficult. <laughs> um, well, it was really important to me to do a piece that was engaging life outside of architecture or the architecture discipline. Um, and I think there were several people who did that in the biennial. I mean, Theaster Gates is probably the most you know impressive and um, extreme example of that. And and I know that that was really important to to Sarah and Joseph to have to have projects that were 
you know, reaching out into the city and making it very specific about Chicago. So, I mean, I felt incredibly lucky that they went for this project, (laughs) which was slightly crazy from the beginning and were extremely supportive the entire time. And I think it was sort of partly for that reason. I mean, I have to say that the biennial was such a, it was such a sort of pleasurable thing. I think because it was, it was such a young generation of people that it felt like it managed to, you know, just as a, as an experience of a participant, it really felt like there weren't the same hierarchies and even judgments that you have when it's a mix of architects and, and sort of younger aspiring folks. So I, I, that's sort of the impression that I came away with actually from this was that it was a, it was a real generational difference than a lot of the other architectural things going on at the same time. So yeah, I don't know if that really answered your question. But. No, yeah, I think, I think that that's also been something that uh, to hear from both participants, both people within the community of the biennial and from without, that there is this kind of uh, not homogenization, but a, something of kind of a flattening of the field in terms of generational, like, <laughs> I don't want to say it's like just young people because it's not just young people, but it's on average, like the, it skews young, um, it, certainly for a profession like architecture, which tends to skew a little bit post and like middle age and after. So I think it's a fascinating beginning. And of course, we'll, we'll have to just see what comes perhaps in the next two years. So, but Bryony, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us again. And uh, it was really great talking with you. My pleasure.